Every single one of us was pursued when we didn't deserve it. Every single one of us has been embraced by a savior who is faithful and true. That's his name. And you need to remind yourself that God is right there with you. You need to remind yourself that God makes promises and that God is faithful to us. Precious promises. The promises of God in Christ are the life of faith and the quickeners of prayer. Friends, do you believe that promise? That God offers the promise of transformation if we surrender to Jesus Christ. going to be an exciting uh, Easter hair-raising ra- adventure there, so I uh, hope that's uh, something that you'll be a part of. Contact Rachel, and she'd be glad to tell you how you can help. As we continue in our series on God's uh, promises, let me just uh, remind you that what we said is that our, our entire relationship with God is really built on His promises. Uh, as we turn our attention to uh, this promise for today, I thought it would be appropriate to remind you of the words of the Lord Jesus Himself. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or the body, what you will wear. Is not life more than, uh, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? He says, look at the birds of the air. Uh, They do not sow or reap or store into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? And who among you, he says, by worrying could add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was clothed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not worry, he says, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? All the Gentiles worry about these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow is going to worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. As we begin this promise today, I want to remind you of a story, and I apologize for those of you who have heard it already, but it does bear repeating. Back in the early days of Dallas Theological Seminary, the greatest seminary on God's green earth, the seminary where the Shekinah glory currently rests right there in Dallas, Texas, the seminary that Peter the Apostle went to, back in the 1930s, the graduate school had come perilously close to closing. Uh, They were running out of operating funds. The the, the creditors were threatening to foreclose on them. Realistically, they needed, in today's terms, probably $100,000 just to keep the doors open for a little while longer. And it looked like that seminary was going to shut down. Needless to say, in that moment, Jesus' encouragement not to worry seemed like a long way off and a very difficult promise to embrace. It was frightening. It was anxiety-producing. They were Desperate, all they could do was pray. 
And so that's what they did. They got the entire faculty together for this huge prayer meeting to literally pray for a miracle. Ever been there? You've been praying to God for something, but somehow you you have come to the end of your rope. And it is not that you're living in sin. You are trying to serve him. You are trying to please him. You think you are trying your best to follow him. But even still, this God that you are following does not seem to be paying attention to your needs, much less responding to those prayers, at least not in the ways that you think he should. Jim Cimbala writes in his book, Breakthrough Prayer, sometimes life gets so tough that even the most faith-filled Christian has difficulty summoning the faith to pray for a breakthrough. It doesn't matter how many Bible verses you've memorized or how much God has blessed you in the past. A difficult problem or a heartbreaking set of circumstances suddenly mushrooms into a huge immovable mountain whose shadow makes it very hard for you to envision how God will ever answer your prayer. All of us, from the strongest to the weakest of us, experience such times. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, those of you who are watching today, can I ask you a very personal question? What is that place in your life right now where you are facing an immovable mountain? Where is that place in your life where you really need God's promise of provision? Maybe there is a difficult financial need that you're facing right now. Maybe there's an overwhelming debt that you carry. Maybe there's a work issue or perhaps a career decision. Or maybe the provision you need is not financial, it's another area, but you need God to show up. And today, this message is for you. I want you to embrace and look at God's promise of provision. And unlike some of the other messages where we We take lots of different texts and examine sort of a broad range of scriptures. Today, I just want to focus on one verse. Just one verse. Let's just look at this one verse with a laser beam. It's Philippians 4.19. You may be familiar with it. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is our verse for the week. There are at least three powerful, amazing truths I want to draw out of this one verse for you to see. I want you to see the source of the provision. I want you to see the sufficiency of the provision. And I also want you to see the stipulation of the provision. The source, the sufficiency, and the stipulation. We'll spend most of our time in movement three, so when I finish one and two, don't get excited. It's not over yet. (laughs) Before we go there, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow for a moment. This is your word after all. Spirit, you inspired this text, and thank you for preserving it so that we might not just read it today, but with our hearts grab hold of it with faith. What we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, would you make us? For the glory of your beautiful name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. First, the source of the provision. Notice Paul begins this verse by saying, and my God. At the very outset of this verse, on the front end, Paul sets God, who is limitless in his resources and vast in his supply. 
Ultimately, there is only one primary supplier who provides for his people, and that one is God. Now, I know God uses secondary means, and God works through the generosity of his people, but everything God's people have to give to the work of God, God has first placed it in their hands. God is the one who gives health to to earn those resources. God is the one who brings those resources into their lives and places them in their hands. God has inclined their heart to open their hands with liberality. And so the source, Paul says, from the very beginning is God. It is God who met the needs of the church at Philippi, and it is God who will meet your needs today. It is God who provides what is needed, when it is needed, and how much will be given. Friends, the God of the Scriptures exalts himself by carrying us rather than us carrying him. Acts chapter 17 says, the Lord doesn't need you to serve him. Mark chapter 10, Jesus came not to be served. God, the God of the Bible exalts himself by serving us rather than us serving him. Even when we do serve him, which we should, we must serve him in such a way that he is still the benefactor and we are still the beneficiary of all of the gifts. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you hadn't? The scriptures call the God of the Bible Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. That is because it is his very nature to provide for his children and for his people. Those of you teenagers who participated in our summer adventure in the last decade, you probably had a song with this name of God somewhere in that summer adventure program, right? You can probably even remember the tune in your head. The Hebrew word for gyra or yira, the root there actually means to see. God sees what you need and can provide what you need. We put those two concepts together in English as well, do we not? Think about the word provision. Vision means to see. Pro means before. Provision means to be able to see beforehand. This is what our God can do that we cannot do. Our God can see the needs beforehand. God knows your future. God sees your need even before you feel your need. He already has a plan to meet the need before you even know that you have the need. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. We find this promise throughout the Bible. Two quick examples, Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Literally, I lack nothing. We, like his sheep, depend on our shepherd. Psalm 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Any good thing. The responsibility we have in Psalm 34, 9 is to reverence the Lord. Then it is God's responsibility to provide for those who reverence him. Back to Philippians 4, 9. Paul wanted the church to know that there was no hesitancy to meet the needs of the flock on God's part. He stands by 24 hours a day with his church ready to meet their every need. Notice it says God will supply. 
It does not say God might supply. Notice the certainty with which Paul speaks here. It does not say God maybe, maybe someday might provide for you. No, Paul, with the absolute certainty here, says my God will supply all of your needs. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, if this God will supply, you will be supplied. Now, this does not look to a future time in heaven one day. No, now he will supply to his church what they need in the nitty-gritty ministry of everyday life. Now, there are many categories of God's provision. There is financial provision, but there are other ways in which God provides. He provides the skill and the talents and the gifts and abilities and training we need to serve. God provides for us wisdom. He provides comfort when we are weary. He provides strength when we are weak. God provides for us emotionally. He provides for us spiritually. He provides for us relationally. He provides for us financially. He provides for us medically. He provides for us physically. My God will supply all of your needs. Consider the ways in which God has provided for us corporately. God has abundantly provided for all of the needs in this church. We have not gone wanting. When we needed spiritual leadership, God has provided pastors and elders and other ministry leaders. When we needed a bus, he provided two. God has provided all of our needs according to his riches and glory. He has provided a worship director a children's ministry director, a youth director, an administration director, a communications director, a preschool director, and teachers, an entire staff, volunteer leaders, a care team, a Stephen ministry team, a finance team, musicians, sound system workers, school teachers, kids ministry workers, a website. God has abundantly provided for everything we need. Financially, we do not owe one cent. Why is that? God has supplied everything we need. If there has ever been a church that has experienced the reality of this promise, it is Millington Baptist Church. There is no explanation for all of this provision except the one spoken of in this verse. My God has supplied all of our needs. We've seen the source of the provision. It is God. Next, I want you to see the sufficiency of this provision. The sufficiency of this provision. Look again at verse 19 at at least four different affirmations which speak to the sufficiency of God's supply. First, notice the verb, will supply. To parse it, it's a future active indicative, which means technically this is a statement of fact. It's a verb which means to fill to the full. Whatever the need is, God will meet the need. Nothing will be lacking. My needs will not exceed God's supply. Secondly, I want you to notice that he says, every need of yours, all of your needs. Notice that word, every. He does not say some of your needs. He does not say most of your needs. He says every need of yours. Now, the word needs is important. He promises to meet your needs. He does not necessarily promise to meet all of your greeds. Talking about the Bible's principle of provision takes a little bit of care and, and, and wisdom and precision. On the one hand, if I overstate this promise, 
I'm going to slip into saying something like God promises to guarantee you some sort of life of luxury like the American dream. That's not quite what Paul is saying. Again, if I understate the promise, though, it seems like I'm not truly teaching the sufficiency of that all of what God is offering to his people here. This is really difficult to talk about. In fact, let me give you an illustration for how careful you have to be when talking about this subject in the Bible. Uh, you ever try to work on like a, a shower head? You, you, you go to like a, like a hotel or something like that, and you're not used to the exact valve and where it needs to be. Like, you know how yours works at home, and you know where it needs to be for the temperature you want, but you go to this other place with this other shower, and it's like, okay, a little bit off. I'm, I'm, I'm dying here. I'm scalding with hot water. A, li- a little bit this way, and I'm like doused with the ice bucket challenge. I, I got to get it just, 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 just right. That's how I feel talking about this promise today. I want to be really careful not to, not to get this wrong. And so I, I'm not teaching... Uh, the heresy known as the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel movement loves to misuse these kinds of promises. But I want you to consider the context in which Paul writes this verse as he is writing from prison. The word need there needs to be taken in context. New Testament commentator Frank Thielman notes that Paul does not consider physical deprivation an unmitigated disaster nor physical comfort the sign of success in the ministry. And so whatever our needs are, they must include the spiritual resources God will provide Paul here to cope with the things that he is going through. And this is why he says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So I want you to just think about that distinction in your own life between needs and greeds and consider what you are praying for and what category you are talking about. Uh, Because when we're in the category of greeds, usually that's about me. That's about my satisfaction, my success, my pleasure, you know, my significance. But when we're in the need category, now we're talking about all that God knows that you must be provided with in order to fulfill the plan and purpose that he has given you in your life. We must also understand there's a temptation in the Bible that's really clear to become self-sufficient with money and forget God. That's the problem with the prosperity theology gospel. They make money way, way too important. That movement ignores the numerous warnings that the Scripture gives us in the New Testament, like in James 5. There are temptations that come with wealth in the Bible, like warnings against hoarding and exploitation of the poor and living with a pursuit of hedonism rather than devoting your life to Christ. So, with that said, let us believe this promise with all of our hearts, but let us also never allow our money to replace God as the centerpiece of our lives. As Jesus said, it can very quickly do. So God says, I will meet all of your needs. Let me go back to verse 19. In this context, Paul is speaking of the church collectively. As they meet together, God will meet their needs, corporately and collectively. But certainly this is true individually as well. The third observation I would make here with regards to the sufficiency is this preposition, according to. According to what? The word according to means in proportion to, in keeping with. This gives us an enhanced understanding of what Paul is talking about regarding this God who provides. 
If a millionaire gives $5 to charity, he is not giving in accordance with his riches. He is giving in spite of his riches. But for a millionaire to give according to his riches, it would have to be in proportion to his riches. He would have to give a vast amount because of the vast earnings that he has. This verse says that God will meet all of our needs according to his riches. Our God gives generously and sacrificially and and liberally, which leads us to this fourth observation about the sufficiency here. Notice that word, riches. The word means to have vast wealth. The scripture declares without hesitation in Psalm 95 verse 4, God has the whole world in the palm of his hand. He has more than is needed to provide. Now, here in Philippians 4, Paul is referring to the financial resources needed for God's work to continue in the first century church, corporately speaking. This is the promise that all churches can grab hold of, that all missionaries can grab hold of. Hudson Taylor famously said this, God's work done God's way for God's glory will not lack God's supply. Therefore, if we fail to have God's provision, it is cause for us to consider, are we doing God's work? Because if we are, we believe God will open the very windows of heaven to supply the needs of those who seek to lift up the Son of God and his gospel for the salvation of the world. That's not to say the people of God will never have moments of stress or hardship in the ministry. We all know that that's possible. Certainly that was true for Paul. Certainly we know that was true for Hudson Taylor from time to time. But at the end of the day, God will come through. It might take time. It might take months. It might take years. But this God will provide. We have to believe this like an anchor in the storm. Now back to Philippians chapter 4. Where are these riches kept? There are two prepositions here that begin with the word in. Notice he says, in glory and in Christ Jesus. In glory, the first one here, refers to the location, the address. This is where these riches are preserved. Glory refers to heaven, where the glory of God is around his throne. Heaven is often called by that name, glory. When we say, when we get to glory, we are saying, when we get to heaven, Therefore, when Paul speaks of these riches, he says they are so safe. They are kept in heaven itself, a place where no thieves can break in and steal, a a place where no moth or rust can destroy. They are not subject to the ebbs and the flows of the stock market. These riches are kept, preserved in the treasury vaults of glory. They are ready to be disposed in a moment when God hears the prayers and sees the needs of his people. These riches are in glory. Secondly, notice he says these riches are in Christ Jesus. That means Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, is the mediator for these riches. Jesus is the distributor. Jesus is able to release these riches as we pray to the Father in his name. They are under his control. They are under his sovereignty. They are under his administration. Christ Jesus will be the one to dispense them according to his own good pleasure. Jesus is the king who sits on the throne of the entire universe. Acts chapter 2 says he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. 
All his enemies will one day be put under his feet. He said to us in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. He is able to sufficiently supply the provision that you need. So we've seen the source of the provision, and we've seen the sufficiency of the provision. And now third, I want you to see the stipulations of the provision. This promise of God's provision is not automatic. Remember, we said on week one, there are two kinds of promises in the Bible. There are unconditional promises, and there are conditional promises. Unconditional promises is where one party makes a promise, a covenant, and there are no conditions whatsoever. Other promises in the Bible are conditional, meaning there are certain prerequisites that are necessary to be met before God is obligated to fulfill his promise. We said on week one, when you study the promises of God, you have to look at the context. You have to remember where this verse sits in the, in the whole counsel of God. I like to say if you take the text out of the context, all you have left is a con. On an, uh, what are the conditions here? Well, on a corporate level in Philippians chapter 4, we know that a church must preach the word of God and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ to expect this promise to be fulfilled. But on an individual level, the promise of God's provision has conditions for us as well. First of all, we can't say, oh, God has promised to provide, therefore I don't have to work or I don't have to save or anything like that. We must remember that the scriptures tell us if a man is not willing to work, let him not eat. And so we must remember other scriptures as we consider this promise as well. But in this immediate context, I want you to see that there is a prerequisite that becomes quite obvious when you look at the context. And it stems from the generous spirit that was displayed in the Philippian church in the first place. Look at the very first word in our verse for today. It is the word and. And is a conjunction. For those of you who remember grammar, conjunctions join things together. And here, the word and in verse 19 attaches it to what precedes it. If verse 19 was supposed to stand alone, it would never start with the word and. Because the previous verses are very important for, under, for us to understand the stipulations and the conditions of the promise here. So briefly look back with me at the context, if you would. Verses 14 through 18 teach us about the stipulations as they are all connected to verse 19. Verse 14 says this. Paul says, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Here, Paul in verse 14 is referring to the monetary giving and sharing that they had given to Paul. They had sent gifts, multiple gifts, on multiple occasions. Why? To support Paul in the gospel ministry. This church in Philippi was not full of millionaires. It was full of ordinary people like you and me who just dug down and provided what was needed for ministry. This is how God most often does his work, through ordinary people who just simply trust God to provide. Verse 16, he goes on to say, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. How generous was this church in Philippi? There is no mention of the Thessalonians supporting him. But the Philippian church steps in, goes above and beyond, and continues to support him even after he's gone. Then Paul says this in verse 17, Not that I seek the gift, 
but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. To your credit. Paul says, don't get me wrong. I'm not in this for the money. I'm looking for you to fulfill the stipulations of this promise. I'm looking for you to receive the credit that you deserve for your giving. I'm not a religious huckster. No, I'm eager to see spiritual growth and fruit in your life. See, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, there is no such thing as a fully mature disciple of Jesus who is not also a mature giver. And Paul knows this. He says, I want to see that fruit in your life. This is why the Bible and even Jesus himself talks so much about money. It's not because God needs our money. It's not because the lights are going to go out in heaven. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's because God cares about people. God cares about what's first place in my heart. And in God's infinite wisdom, he knows the fastest, most efficient way to find out what's in my heart is to look in my checkbook. Tim Keller says, we always give effortlessly to that which is our true God. Paul knows that. Paul wants God to be at the center of their hearts and lives because that's where God deserves to be. Paul says, I know you want to see the preaching of the word of God go forth, but I want your account, I want the stipulations of this promise to be fulfilled by you because of what you've done in your giving. God sees that, Paul says. God remembers that. God is watching. God rewards that. And God will bless the church and God will bless the individual that is generous to God's cause. Then Paul says in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Epaphroditus being the messenger of this financial gift. Notice that word full there again. Paul is saying, because you have filled me up and met all of my needs, God will fill you up and meet all of your needs. Paul says, you've gone above and beyond for me. I am well supplied. There's that word supply. Again, we're going to see echoed in verse 19 later. Paul says, your gift, because of the manner in which you gave it, because of the heart behind it, because you gave it cheerfully, it was like a fragrant aroma. It was like in the Old Testament where they would offer these sacrifices from the heart and they would come before God with humility and obedience. Paul says, your financial gift was like that and God sees that and it was a sweet aroma as it was given unto God and he's pleased. Isn't that what we want from God? Don't we want God to see our motivation and our sacrifice and our giving and for God to smell that like a sweet aroma unto him? Too often when we give to God, we do so begrudgingly. That's a stench in God's nostrils. God wants us to do it willingly, with the right motivation, cheerfully, going, I get to do this. I get to be a part of the greatest kingdom in all of the world. When we do that, it's a sweet aroma in God's eyes. All of this is the background behind that little word, and. And Paul says, and... And my God will supply every need of yours 
according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To the degree that the church at Philippi was generous to God's work, God would be generous to them. All of the conditions and stipulations of this promise had been met. Though Paul himself will not be able to repay them, Paul says very clearly, I know my God will meet all of your needs. Therefore, this is the principle I think we need to understand today. The church and the Christian who gives monetary support to undergird God's work will have its own needs supplied by God himself. The church and the Christian who gives monetary support to undergird God's work will have its own needs supplied by God himself. I think this is a timeless principle that we see in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the New Testament, let me just give you a few examples. It's all over the Old Testament. Here's a couple New Testament examples. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Here's the principle. Paul says, if you give a little, then a little bit will come back. If you give a little bit more, a little bit more will come back. If you give a lot, a lot will come back. The more you give, the more you will receive, as long as you do so with a cheerful heart and with the right motivation. Not that you seek the gift, but you seek the giver and his blessing of provision on your life that may or may not come in a financial way. Here's the principle I think that Paul is giving us. You can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. A businessman that I know says it this way, Dave, I give it to God with a shovel. He gives it back with a backhoe. Our God is a giver. When he gave, when God the Father gave, he gave us his son. When Jesus gave to you, he gave you his life. Our God is a generous God. When you give, you are never more like the God of the universe when you do so in a generous and sacrificial spirit. You are made in his image. The Lord Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 6, give, and it will be given to you. They will pour it into your lap in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, for by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. Jesus gives us the word give here as an exhortation and a command. It's in the imperative mood. The word picture he's using here is of a barrel, a product being put into a large barrel, like grain. And what Jesus is saying is if you will fill up that barrel in giving to the work of the ministry and in giving generously to others who, need, who are in need, God will fill up this barrel to you, but when God puts it in the barrel, it will be much more abundant. It will be pressed down. It's not gonna be like a bag of potato chips where it's like two-thirds air. No, when God decides to give to you, he will like shake it together and press it down so that it will be running over. No air pockets whatsoever. And then God will hand it back to you after you have cheerfully and first given to him. This is the one area in the Bible where it's okay to test God. It's usually not okay to test God. But in this area... He gives us permission to do so in Malachi chapter 3. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that, 
that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be there will not be room enough to store it. Isn't that fascinating? God, through the prophet Malachi, is calling his people to return back to him. And the way in which he calls them to, to come back, the way in which they are to return and test him, is not to test him in praying or to test him in fasting or to test him in memorizing Bible verses or to test him in serving. No, he says, the test that I have set up for you is the fastest, most efficient way for me to know if I am first place in your life. Test me in your giving. Now, when God says, test me in this, what he really means is, trust me in this. Trust me. Obey me. I will come through for you. This is so hard in the area of finances, isn't it? It takes so much faith. And I am so afraid and anxious in this area. 920 times in the Bible, the word fear comes up. And one of the most common exhortations with use of that word is, do not be afraid. When it comes to giving, though, we are filled often with fear and anxiety, and worry. That's why Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. And we're like, why? Seriously? I don't have time to look at the birds of the air right now, Jesus. I don't even like bird watching. I don't even like birds. Besides, right now, I have no job. I don't have time to look at the birds of the air. Right now, I need a car, Jesus. I don't have time to look at the birds. I don't have enough money to retire, Jesus. I don't want to look at the birds of the air. With all due respect to the birds of the air, those are great, but there are things to worry about down here on the land, if you haven't noticed, Jesus. And I don't really want to go bird watching right now at a time like this. That doesn't seem very helpful to my problems. Thank you, but no thank you. To be honest with you, Jesus, I don't even care about the birds of the air. And Jesus says, but I do. And that's why you need to look at them. Because I care for you so much more. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. If I trust, God will make my path straight. In the area of finances, though, so often when I face a financial problem, I don't want to lean on God. I want to lean on my own understanding. God says, if you trust me, though, I will make your path straight. I don't want to trust you, Lord. I just want to, I want to tighten the belt. I want to hoard a little bit. I got to definitely back off of my charitable giving. I, too often I give in to fear. God says, no, in all of your ways, acknowledge me. And I will promise you the, the straightest paths you can imagine, the, the safest, fastest, most smooth road in front of you that you could ever dream of. That's quite a commitment from God, isn't it? You're going to pave the way for me? What if there's something in the way? What if there's a mountain in the way? I will move the mountain out of your way. Who do you think you are? I'm God. Trust me. This is the teaching in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is the teaching of Paul. It is the teaching of Malachi. It is on the lips of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 6. We have seen it in 2 Corinthians 9. And it is what Paul means in Philippians 4. 
and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. How do we apply this text to our lives today? Only you can answer that question, but the scriptures do tell us that we are all to grow in the grace of giving. We are all to grow in this area of giving throughout our lives. Perhaps you're listening today and you haven't really gotten involved in giving at all. And God is prompting you, saying, I want you to start. I want you to begin to test me. My encouragement for you is to trust him in this. Say to your family, we're going to honor God. We're going to trust him. And we're going to wait for him to provide. We're not going to give in to fear. We're not going to give in to worry. We're going to prioritize God. We're going to trust him. We're going to start giving. Others of you, perhaps you're already giving, but it's more sporadic and you need to take the step to become a systematic giver, to give on a regular basis. Uh, it's funny how oftentimes in our lives, in other areas, we think nothing of discretionary spending, whether it's going out to eat or you know, spending on ourselves, but we think about giving the same amount to the church and all of a sudden it seems like a lot. For some people, their expensive coffee habit is more than they would give to the cause of Christ. Let me encourage you to reprioritize that and become a regular giver. And then some of you are, you're already regular givers, and it might be time to level up. Maybe the gift that you're giving is no longer a sacrificial gift for you anymore. Or maybe some of you, God has blessed you so much that you're about to give the most extravagant gift you've ever given in your entire lives. I don't know how God is prompting you, but my encouragement is to always be growing in this area of giving and test God and trust God in this area. I'm not saying this for my sake. Remember, Paul says, not that I seek the gift. I seek the fruit in your life. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. As the worship team comes and we prepare our hearts for communion, let me finish the story with which I began. It looked like in the 1930s in the Great Depression, Dallas Theological Seminary would need to close its doors. The leaders and the faculty and the administration gathered for prayer. During the prayer meeting, in my opinion, one of the greatest expositors of all time, Dr. Harry Ironside, stood up and said this prayer on record. Quote, Lord, we know that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Today, we're asking you to sell some of those and send us the money. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're not going to believe this, but a businessman in Texas stepped into the seminary's main office and said, quote, I have two carloads of cattle in Fort Worth. I could not make a deal go through. I feel compelled by the God of heaven to give this money for some reason to this seminary. I don't know if you guys need it or not, but here's the check. The secretary opens the check. It's the exact amount the seminary needs to stay open. She calls Dr. Chafer, who calls Dr. Ironside, and Dr. Chafer famously says this, quote, Harry, God sold the cattle. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. And Heavenly Father, how grateful we are for this amazing promise. But we are more grateful for your generosity and the fact that you provide all of our needs, even spiritually. Help your people today. 
Help us to cast all of our anxieties and all of our cares upon you, for you care for us. Would you find us faithful to you? Would you meet our needs and do it again and do what only you can do and show up with miracle working power for my friends? For those who need healing today, I pray for healing. For those who need comfort today, I pray for comfort. For those who need financial provision today, I pray, God, that you would blow our socks off and show us how big you are in this area. Lord, we thank you, God, for this amazing promise. Help us to trust you. For Christ's sake and for his reputation, we pray. Amen.